Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series this week, Under Pressure. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, to chapter 2, verse 3, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, The Call to Love. On more than one occasion, the Church of Jesus has been threatened because of our failure to love one another. Look, disunity normally looks the same wherever you find it, but the reasons for it are varied. There are local churches that are simply fractious. They're suspicious of each other. I know of some churches where people divide over peripheral issues. That is, there are some people who claim they're fighting for the truth in their church, and when you probe, you find the thing they're fighting for hardly makes any difference at all. And I think in a plague of extreme fundamentalism, when even a small variation in a point of doctrine is reason for suspicion and for breaking up the fellowship. I mean, sometimes, by the way, entire denominations begin on that basis. You know, they major on a minor distinction. But of course, there's another side to this issue. There are churches that care so little for truth, they're unwilling to fight for anything. I mean, they claim they love unity. And I know of one denomination where they actually had a debate of whether or not a person could be an atheist and remain in their pastoral community. Wow! That in itself breaks the unity of the church because the community of God's church must be a community of the gospel. I mean, what kind of a church isn't willing to fight for the gospel? And the answer is an inauthentic Christian church won't fight for the gospel. And so truth-loving Christians in such a time will gladly risk destroying the unity of the church. Not to do so would betray the cause of Christ. So I'm not arguing for unity at all costs. But there are other reasons for disunity. Not all reasons for disunity are doctrinal. Indeed, a great many of them are simply the result of a lack of love. And that's fascinating. See, Jesus didn't advise us as Christians that we might think about loving each other. He commanded it. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, 1 John is often called the book of love. John says a great many things about the necessity of love. 1 John 4, 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Oh, that's a mouthful. Love for fellow believers is a sign of love for God. I mean, after all, the one who belongs to God must acknowledge that others also belong to God and that they are loved by God. We've been studying 1 Peter, a letter written to a group of hard-pressed Christians who are beginning to face the fires of persecution. And Peter has told them to remain steadfast. Remember the second coming of Jesus and the imperishable inheritance that's yours, he says. And also, as you walk through this, remember the mandate of personal holiness. Don't cave in to the demands of the wider culture. Remember that you're a distinct and holy people. Now, Peter turns to something else that's essential to Christians facing persecution. And this is just as important as your personal holiness. It's called love. So let's read our text. 1 Peter 1, 22 to chapter 2, verse 3. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of 
perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, the point of this paragraph is that love for fellow believers is essential. Let's break this paragraph down into three sections. Section one, that's the command that we take the matter of love very seriously. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, this matter of a purified heart or soul that leads to love is something that we need to unpack. You know, in the Jewish world, people would regularly undergo purification before they would enter into worship. So imagine, if you will, the Jewish people going into the temple for worship. And before they went, they would undergo a ritual cleansing, a kind of a baptism in a mikvah or a baptismal pool supposed to symbolize the kind of cleansing that was required for one to approach God. Well, it wasn't just that people needed to be ritually purified. I mean, so did their articles used for worship. And the idea was that God must be approached with an attitude of purity or holiness. But there was a problem with all of that. It was only external. And the fact was that the leadership in the temple was completely corrupt. They had gone through numerous purifying baths, but their hearts remained unregenerate and it was an offense to God. And so Peter uses the word purified, but then he makes an important designation. He's not speaking about external cleansing. He's speaking about purifying your souls. And what's more, says Peter, it's already happened. Your souls have been purified by your obedience to the truth. Now, what does it mean when he says that? Well, I think it means that your souls have been purified by active obedience to Christ and his gospel. See, every genuine Christian is an obedient Christian. See, I think another way of saying that would be to say, look, you know, since you've come to Christ, you are growing in holiness. You've been learning to say no to sinful desires, and you've been learning to say yes to Christ in everything. And so it's not about external purity. It's about internal purity. And this inner purity, this inner holiness, is for a purpose. Inner holiness leads to brotherly love. The Greek word is Philadelphia. It means not just that we're required to love each other, but that we actually like one another. We're drawn to each other. And since Peter uses the word sincere in front of brotherly love, he means that the attraction that we found in each other, it's not feigned or artificial, it's genuine. So stop and consider that. Peter believes that any Christian who's growing in holiness is also growing in the genuine feelings of affection for the brotherhood. It is not just some Christians, all Christians. And that would include the Christians that are too emotional, as well as those Christians that tend to be more reserved and don't express their feelings easily. It includes brothers and sisters of all income brackets. It includes brothers and sisters of all races. It includes the short, the tall, the fat, the thin those who laugh loudly and those who don't. It includes the educated and those who struggle just to read. It includes people who have customs that might turn you off. Were it not for this fact, 
They're your brother. They're your sister. They're purchased by the blood of Christ. And because of that, it's your impulse immediately to love them. Look, I know that we all have people around whom we feel most comfortable, but it's a mark of holiness that we sincerely love the brothers, all of them. Notice verse 22 again. Do you see how it goes? Having purified your souls, which leads to brotherly love, now then, love one another from a pure heart. See how it goes? As you grow in holiness, you grow in love for brothers and sisters in Christ. And since that's so, go out and do it. The word Peter uses is earnest love. In other words, make it especially strong, deep felt. Make sure you do it. See, that's basic Christian teaching. All Christians need to be instructed in basic Christian doctrines, in leading a holy, sin-rejecting lifestyle. But that's not complete if we're not loving one another. So that's the basic statement Peter wants to make. Make love for each other, deep, lasting, felt, and a priority. So having made that point, he moves to his second point. The love that you have for one another is lasting. And before we look at the details, if you've been following me through this series, you'll already notice that Peter has been focusing on things that endure. So in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he spoke of being born again to a living hope that is imperishable. That is, the promise you have of what you will be given when Christ returns is going to endure. Then verse 7, Peter spoke of the fact that even gold perishes, but the faith of the believer doesn't. Then in verses 23 to 25, he again focuses on something that never dies, never passes away, never perishes. And notice he's been saying that we are to love one another earnestly, making every effort to display love, and then he gives the reason for it. Verse 22, he says, because you're growing in holiness. But now, in verse 23, he says, you're doing this because you're born again. That's the second time Peter speaks of being born again. And I have no doubt he's referring to Jesus' words to Nicodemus. You know, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And Peter's point is, the new birth is not something you do. It happened to you. God did it. It's an eternal seed that took root in your heart and causes you to love the brothers. June is back to the Bible Canada's fiscal year end. As such, It's a crucial month for the ministry financially. Despite the financial impact of the last couple of years, Back to the Bible Canada has still been able to provide sound Bible teaching and engagement resources, and even produce new ministry resources thanks to the loyal support of our listeners. This year, our fiscal year-end target is $409,000. And to help us reach that, several generous ministry supporters have graciously offered to match your donations this month up to $100,000. That means your gift has doubled the impact. We'd be so grateful if you might consider helping us achieve our financial target this fiscal year end. To make your gift today or for more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Peter ends chapter 1 by quoting from Isaiah the prophet. Everything dies, everything passes away. Grass does, so do people. We're here for a moment and then we're gone. But the word of the Lord remains forever. You know, go to the most impressive, massive building in your area. Examine it. Think about the engineering that went into making it. Does it seem like something to you? But soon it's going to be no more. 
But when the good news was preached to you and you believed, you believed because something eternal had been planted in you. And Peter's talking about the need to love each other. You already do love each other, he says, because that's the result of growing in holiness. You're caused to love each other because the enduring seed of the word of God was planted in you at conversion. And then suddenly Peter gets practical. See, in chapter 2, verse 1, he begins with the word so or therefore. And if I understand what Peter's saying here, it's that while love is the outgrowth of the Christian life, we need to take a great deal of care not to carry out behavior patterns that might harm the love that is already in our hearts. And so in the last section of this paragraph, Peter sets out five attitudes that destroy love. Let's look at each one of them in turn. Verse 1. So put away malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So number one, malice. Malice is the desire to harm people. You know, I've known people who hide their malicious intentions with a smile or some benevolent action. But in reality, it's their desire to destroy someone, bring them down, have them fired, ruin their marriage, ruin their family, even harm their relationship with their local church. And James calls it rampant wickedness. That's malice. The second word Peter uses is deceit. And deceit is the attempt to mislead others by telling lies. Peter will mention the same word again in chapter 3, verse 10, where he says that whoever desires to love life and see good days must keep his lips from speaking deceit, he says. He means that God remembers the lies that we speak, the attempts to hide our true motives, and the false impressions that we attempt to leave behind. You know, on this topic of deceit, have you noticed how many other sins are hidden through this one sin? Think of the person who commits adultery. And what do they do? They add to the sin of adultery the sin of deceit, of lies, of misdirection, of of appearing to be one thing while in fact they are something else. Notice also how the sin of malice towards someone is connected to the sin of deceit. And God who records all of our sins knows that we've not just committed one of them, but already two. Now, number three, hypocrisy. You know, in the Greek, this noun, as the others are, is in the plural. And Peter means to say every act of hypocrisy or every kind of hypocrisy. It's the interior condition that works its way into our actions. It means that we're on the inside very much different than how we appear on the outside. See, I fear less the person who scowls at me and barks at me than I fear the person who smiles at me while he cleverly hides who he is. Again, let me use the image of the adulterer as I used earlier. You know, I know of one man who committed adultery even while he was teaching a class for engaged couples, including talks on marital faithfulness. I know of one pastor who had been discovered as committing adultery and the next day he was called upon to perform a wedding, which he did, and he spoke passionately about remaining faithful to one another until death parted them. And then after the wedding, the pastor's wife, who witnessed what her husband had said, then wanted to talk to him. How can you say those things when you know that you don't believe them, she said. And he responded, I'm a professional. I know how to speak in these situations. See, it's the person with two faces, one for one situation, the other for their real self. Number four, the word is envy. It's sometimes called green with envy, although I've never quite discovered why the color green is used to describe it. Envy is the desire to have what the other person has. It arises out of a lack of gratefulness for the station in life that God has assigned to us. 
You know, someone might envy someone else's popularity or their ability to speak or their success in some field of endeavor or their impact that they're making. You know, other times, you know, it's as simple as wanting their money or wanting their spouse or wanting something that seems beyond reach. And finally, number five, Peter mentions slander. You know, perhaps this one, if it is possible, is the worst of all the others. For slander involves taking someone else down by the stories we begin to spread, stories that others begin to believe, and then pass them on as if they were true. Slander is what the enemies of Jesus used to justify nailing him to the cross. Slander is what's been used countless times to justify persecuting a people group. You know, the reason slander is used so often is it's because it's so effective. You know, once a story has been traded back and forth several times, it becomes a truism in the minds of many. So let's go back over the list that Peter has given, a list he knows destroys the love and unity he's spoken of earlier. Let's see if we can give the opposite of each of these words. What is it that the Holy Spirit does in the hearts of those who have been born again through the imperishable seed of the Word of God? Well, the answer is, instead of malice, you know, he promotes doing good to all, even our enemies. And if we seek to bless our enemies, how much more the brothers and sisters in the household of God? And then rather than deceit, does not the Holy Spirit produce in the heart of believers upright and honest dealings with each other? And instead of hypocrisy, authenticity. Instead of envy, genuine delight in the good fortune of others, even if we never share in that fortune. And finally, instead of slander, using every occasion to spread stories of good in which we've noticed the grace of God in the life of the other. How would that look? Well, it would look like love. But how do we maintain the attitude of love? Yeah, we received a new heart. We've been born again. And we have been given the gift of loving each other. But how quickly do those old attitudes that we once had come back? How do we maintain love? Look at the last two verses in our section. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into your salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, we could spend a great deal of time talking about the definition of milk. That is, you know, is Peter using the word milk the way that the writer of Hebrews uses the term? About the foundational teachings of Christ as opposed to, you know, lessons for the more mature. But I think that discussion gets us off track. You see, Peter's using a metaphor here. Like newborn infants who long for milk, so you also must long for spiritual milk. So in other words, long for those things that nurture your soul, that cause you to grow and maintains your health. Always have an interest, therefore, in the teachings of the Bible, especially as it relates to your salvation and the effects of the new birth in your heart. Don't you ever become complacent with how far you have come in your Christian faith Always seek to advance. Always seek to grow up into your salvation. And to that, Peter adds a final phrase. If, he says. Now, that's a laden term, if. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. He means to say, if indeed, the things I've just explained are true of you. We might say, what things have you explained? Well, everything in the letter so far. That you have a hope in the resurrection of Jesus 
that you've truly and authentically been born of the Spirit. You're born again and have received a new heart. That you've experienced the joy of the holy life, or at least that you long for it and are fighting hard to kill the old sin nature and to cling to that which is good that you're obedient in all things, or at least that it's the joy of your life to learn obedience. And now that you know what's meant by if, well, if that's true, then love the brothers. See, all these are good things. God has given them to you. Have you tasted that? That's what Peter's asking. Well, have you? And I want to ask you, my hearer, have you tasted that? And if not, Please receive the gospel of Jesus. Christ opens his hands to you, and he says to you that you must be born again. In other words, come to him and plead for your own soul and ask God to do a change in your heart through Jesus Christ. See, up to now in 1 Peter, we've been talking about the the greatness of the Christian life. And this is a great Christian life because Christianity does so many things for us. But here, Peter says, it causes us to be the people of love, even as God loved us, so we ought to love one another. May it be true of all of us. Thanks for your message, John. You know, the church, let's talk about the church. You know, with all of its apparent failings, is it necessary for the believer? Yeah, I mean, uh, the church is the people of God. Uh, We are the family of uh, Jesus, and as a family, we are called upon to love each other. Uh, We are called upon to be with one another, to serve the Lord together and not by ourselves. Um, We will know that we are Christians by our love, and that love is for each other. So I'm going to say that the church as the family of God is essential to the Christian life. Um, so I'm going to say it again, that if you, my dear listener, you know, are a Lone Ranger Christian, you need to repent. Uh, you need to confess this to Christ. You need to get in your heart that you will be obedient to his calling and that you will attach yourself to a family of believers on a local level. This is Christ's will for you. To fail to do that is to be disobedient. Now, I need to acknowledge churches filled with all sorts of disappointments. And uh, you will bring your own disappointments to the church. But nonetheless, this is God's calling for you. Thanks again, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Under Pressure, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. At Back to the Bible Canada, It's our hope that your walk with Christ would be strengthened and encouraged through the wide variety of resources made available through so many different mediums to ensure Bible teaching you can trust is freely accessible to those who desire to know the Bible and our Lord more deeply. One listener wrote, It is a joy to listen to Dr. Neufeld and the staff of Back to the Bible Canada as they faithfully teach the Bible daily. It's a real blessing to hear the word daily for encouragement and exhortation. If you feel blessed by this ministry, can we ask you to help us reach our fiscal year-end goal of $409,000? This year, a few friends of the ministry have offered to match your gift dollar for dollar up to $100,000 to make this campaign a success. To make your gift, call us at 1-800-888-4673. 
663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.